for 12 years in a row. Ranking Arizona's number one most trusted referral network, rosieonthehouse.com. And we're privileged and happy to have you. And over three decades of Rosie on the House. Showing up every Saturday morning to open our doors for you, the Arizona homeowner. It's Rosie on the house. Come on in, sit down, get comfortable. Pour yourself a big old glass. We were talking about mint in the garden hour last hour. Boy, the more we talked about it, the thirstier I got for a big old ice cold glass of fresh mint sun tea. Only like you can get right here in the great state of Arizona. Hey, y'all, listen, we come on every Saturday to share with you what we've learned from and what we've learned from many of you homeowners about home ownership. And we've been doing the show for 33 years. We've got uh, uh, over 8,000 broadcast hours on Arizona radio waves. We've talked to a lot of homeowners. Uh, we're always open to talk to more. We like this to be your safe place. We like this to be your happy place where you can come every Saturday morning and uh, just share a good time with us talking about your favorite subject, you and your house. Next week is a very special edition of Rosie on the House, and I want to invite you all to be there. We are going to be at the Pella Experience Center in Gilbert, Arizona. We will be broadcasting live. You're invited to the grand opening of the new Pella Door and Window Showroom. Pella's going to be providing little snacks and tidbits. We'll have some cold drinks there. Any of you that show up can register to win a Traeger grill that we'll be giving away. So come by and say hello. We we haven't been doing many lives uh, out of respect for COVID protocol the last couple of years, but this is going to be one of the first ones we've done for a while, and we'd love to have y'all come out and say hello. One of the great things about live broadcasts is we get to meet all of you that we visit with over the radio every single Saturday. So it's the Pella Experience Center. You're invited next Saturday between 9 and 3. We'll be out there. You'll be able to register for a Traeger Grill giveaway, and you'll be able to take a look at the complete line of Pella products if you're interested in contemplating a window or door upgrade. You'll be able to see that 30 foot movable glass wall that can just open up the entire back of your house so next saturday see that put it on your calendar and uh come on over and say hello and introduce yourself i like them in the pictures i like them even more in person i think maybe maybe i should stay home (laughs) or make you get me one yeah Yeah, we've got we've got just the spot (laughs) for that too don't we yeah we we do we really do All right, we're talking this particular hour right now about anything y'all would like to talk about. If you'd like to give us a ring and ask us a question, we're here for that. Also, that's 
4348. You can text us at uh, 411-923. You can email us. Uh, I'm kind of multitasking this morning. Your best, your best bet is that phone call. Our, one of the things we do to try and earn our way into your heart to become your best friend is we publish a digital e-newsletter that comes to your digital mailbox every Thursday. Now, you can subscribe to that by going to our website, rosieonthehouse.com, and it kind of gives you the topic of the week. It tells you what we're going to be covering in the Outdoor Living Hour, our weekly to-do tip, plus a featured product in our e-commerce store. In the newsletter this week, we talk about making your pets comfortable. And this is being driven by an inordinate, a tremendous amount of inquiries of homeowners who are saying, what do I do with my pet? This monsoon season has taken them over the edge. I have, I have three dogs, uh, two German short hairs and one English pointer. One of my German short hairs is the dominant male of the litter. He's a big boy, one of the taller German short hairs you'll ever see. And he's a big scaredy cat. He <laughs> is a wimp. He's an absolute wimp when it comes to a change in the atmosphere. And we've thrown this out before. I mean, he will literally, if I'm not with him, he will literally try and chew his way out of a steel, impenetrable kennel until the storm moves on. He literally goes nuts. And we've tried the medicine. We've tried the comfort t-shirts. We've tried blasting music in the, he lives in the garage. That's where his kennel is. We, we've tried leaving the lights on, closing the curtain so he can't see the lightning. We've tried everything. So as I said earlier, we learn a lot from you, the Arizona homeowners. I'm not the only one with a dog like that. If you've got advice on how to handle a pet that does not know how to handle a monsoon storm, the lightning, the thunder, the pelting rain, we'd love to hear from you right now at one 767 They all need a safe place. Uh, it was two weeks ago or last week we had Arizona Game and Fish on talking about protecting your pets from wildlife and the fact that we've had a couple javelina puppy encounters around the perimeter of Maricopa County where you're actually out in the neighborhood walking your puppy and encountering javelina and what to do and how to protect yourself and your pet. Actual accounts of pets ending up at vet emergency centers. And you don't have to be out of your yard, which That's is kind right. of what we're talking about today is keeping your pets safe at home. Uh, even with block walls. What are, what are block walls, like seven feet? No, they're, they're generally going to be about six. In some neighborhoods, you can get uh, variances or nice neighbors that are okay with you raising it to seven feet. Because <laughs> a javelina won't jump over that, but a coyote will. Bobcat. Coyote, coyote, so if you coyote have, will come straight over that. Yeah, if you have little little uh, animals, then you don't want to let them out by themselves. Um, also, the hawks will, will swoop down in the owls. And so. this is the time of year where a lot of the migratory hawks are in our particular uh, environments. They're, they're moving through Arizona right now. So 
our neighborhood in particular where we live, uh, generally has about three pair that come in every year. Now, this year, we we had about five pair, six pair. I mean, it seemed like every time you looked up, there were a hawk. I got some great pictures of them on the telephone pole just behind our house. Looking down at your bird dogs. I'm looking down <laughs> at my bird dogs. And the bird dogs tend to be pretty safe. They're of a size that a hawk generally won't try and take down. But smaller animals, um, smaller pets, smaller dogs, very definitely are targets by hawk, targeted by hawks. So you have to be careful and protect them. Well, there's two, two things I can think of for, the, for that. Um, one would be an outdoor kennel. You know, if you can't stand out there the whole time, we have a really nice outdoor kennel. We poured the concrete, put up the nice chain link, but you'd also have to cover the top because <laughs> that chain link is about, what, six feet as well. So to have the top covered and lots of good shade and, and water, even misters, you know, this time of year, it's really, it's a nice option this time of year because you could let them be outside and <clears throat> when you're, you can't stand with them every minute. And then also doggy door, but... That has to also be used with discretion because, you know, if you're going to leave that doggy door open, things can come in the house and maybe they go out when they shouldn't be out. So, Not, uh, you know, not only things like javelinas that smell the dog food inside there or coyotes. I always encourage you, if you can, the doggy door should go into like a back mudroom or the back laundry room where you can then separate the rest of the house from that doggy door access area. And I will tell you that virtually every police department in Arizona will tell you that if you allow your pet in and out of a doggy door while you're not home, that door to the rest of the house should have a deadbolt on it that you've locked from inside the house. So should someone decide to penetrate your home through the doggy door, all they'll be able to ransack is the laundry room and the tide and the bleach and the dirty underwear. <laughs> what about when you put the, they have those slots, you, like a little panel, you slip into that, but are those secure at all? Well, they make various degrees of security dog doors, the pa uh, panels that are actually impenetrable. That, that's what the marketing people call them, impenetrable. Uh, impenetrable's a pretty hard status to reach. In actuality but if you make it hard enough to get in it will just it will just it would deter the forced entry so if you're using that and the other the other thing if you're using the doggy door while you're away at work you want the dog to be able to come in lay on the mm -hmm. uh, lay on the floor and drink his water and nibble at his food uh, and get out um, when he needs to uh, or when she needs to but, of course, when you leave or at night and the doggy's in for the night, those secure pet doors are worth the additional investment because that is an area security companies and police departments will tell you are fairly common point of entry for unwanted house guests. Are those, is that a DIY project? It can be in a door. Uh, it can get a little more complicated when you're trying to put it into a wall or into a glass panel of a sliding patio door. Uh, but uh, if you're just trying to cut it into a door, it very well uh, can be a, 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 a do-it-yourself project. All right, when we get back, we're going to have a special guest on.
from the U of A talking about this unbelievable profusion of moths and butterflies we're seeing this season. We'll be answering your questions, too. Welcome back to Rosie on the House. We're here to, as a Saturday morning tradition, to be like, your happy place. That's right, right. like we are every yeah. Saturday. And help you around your house, home, castle, or cabin. And last week, you know, we've been talking critters all month, different aspects of critters, how to bring them in, how to keep them away, how to keep them safe, how to keep your pets safe. And uh, one of our friends last week texted and said, hey, why don't you guys talk about all these moths? What about all these moths? So... I did a little research, but I really don't know much about moths. So we've invited Kathleen Prudick. She's the assistant professor of citizen and data science at the University of Arizona, and she's going to join us this morning. Hey, Miss Katie. Howdy. Hi, folks. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. So, you know, we, we've talked a lot just the last couple of weeks about how inundated we are by butterflies and moths, and... Um, just we've had texts, we've had emails, people wondering what what is this? It's so unusual for us. Can you kind of fill us in on what's going on? Yeah, of course. So one of my specialties is studying Lepidoptera, which is butterflies and moths. And what's happening is we had a fabulous monsoon. You may have noticed. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything's green. Everything is just lush and verdant. And as a result. Um, there's a lot of food for those caterpillars to eat. Uh, and so there are a lot more moths and butterflies than we would see, we've seen in the last couple of years when the monsoons have not been so fabulous. And as you and I were talking yesterday, that's, there's a bigger picture of the food chain. It just, um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah. So, so, so moths and butterflies, both are important pollinators. I think, you know, folks, when they sit down, they're like, oh yeah, right. They, they help make the next generation of plants. Uh, by moving pollen from from one plant to another. Um, They also are, uh, caterpillars in particular, I often refer to them as eggs with legs, because they are... (laughs) (laughs) Eggs with legs. (laughs) Eggs with legs. They are full with all sorts of great nutrients, just sort of like little salmon. You know, everybody (laughs) says you should eat your salmon or whatever. Um, Caterpillars have the same sort of fats and and proteins that, that, you know, those cold water salmon have. And that has to do with the fact that, you know, they're just acquiring all these nutrients because, you know, they have the worst teenage years, I think, of any animal because they basically, you know, melt down. They're left with their brains and their gonads, but everything else melts down and they transition from a caterpillar, which is, you know, this leaf chewing sort of sessile thing to this, you know, incredibly active nectar sitting flying adult. So it's a pretty big transition. So they need a lot of energy to do that. Yeah, and then they're also um, food for other things. Right, exactly. And so, so everybody's looking to eat those eggs with legs because it's just delicious and a, a great resource. And that includes, you know, there's records in the literature about bears, like really depending on, on moth larvae when there's a big year, um, all the way down to, you know, little tiny predatory insects. Like um, you might see these around right now, the caterpillar hunter beetles little black beetles with these kind of ferocious jaws, and they eat primarily caterpillars. You know, and when you uh, talk... Moths and butterflies. Yeah, yeah so there's, uh, there's just chain reaction on both ends of that. So um, we were talking, why do you think moths get such a bad rap? I mean, I think butterflies, and I get all excited, and I think moths get rid of them. How come? <laughs> I think part of it, I think it's twofold, is um, 
their flight is a little bit more erratic, I would say, than a butterfly, because butterflies kind of have this lazy, like, often, like, lackadaisical flight. Um, and moths are countering at night, which always seems to make us a little nervous, because we, we don't see as well at night as compared to during the day. Um, and then moths aren't quite, uh, there are exceptions. There's, so just to think about it in the audience is there's about 10 times as many moth species as there are butterfly species. So we often think it's moths as, as little drab, boring brown things, but there are many moth species that are just gorgeous, um, like butterflies. Okay, so I wanted to give a little plug, Katie, for these for this website that you have that you, that's either oh, yeah. in design just so you you like to connect citizens with science so that they can help you with the data you need to do the studying that you need to do for the environment so would you kind of fill us in on we have one minute left just tell us about that website yep yep so this is e-butterfly.org and it is a, a, a web platform that is catering to people who, who love to watch butterflies and photograph them and what we do is keep track of your life list, um, your checklist, all these things that, that many people like uh, get excited about and sort of motivates them to get out and watch more butterflies. And then on the back end, we look at um, how uh, environmental change is impacting where butterflies are now, who they interact with, uh, and how that might change in the future. So we can think about uh, informing different conservation and management groups about what they might be thinking about uh, 5, 10, 50, 100 years in the future. And you get excited about connecting that data. I get excited about getting kids excited. <laughs> so, you know, I think yeah. about the parents that are homeschooling or maybe looking for something to do on the weekend. This is a great way to get them outside and help them to see, you know, what's going on. And, and then I think they kind of take ownership of that, you know, and it, it's just something really good and constructive and fun to do. Absolutely. And I, I totally agree with that. And we do need the next generation of butterfly enthusiasts out there. Um, I also would say that I find a lot of parents get a big kick out of this. Like they learn something, uh, just a lot of things, too, in the process of engaging with their with their children on this. And there's a couple um, other platforms that iNaturalist.org was one and Nature's Notebook. And you can get on and you actually uh, find other people who are seeing the same thing. You can kind of compare notes and make new friends. Miss Katie, yeah, absolutely. thank you so yeah. much for joining us this morning and, and uh, teaching us to love those moths. Thank you so much. I hope you all have a great day. Thank you. You too. I like to think the information we share with y'all here at Rosie Mouse every Saturday morning improves your quality of life in, about, and around your house, home, castle, or cabin. And one of the things we've been sharing with y'all for a long time is when you're in the market for shopping for a new vehicle, go to where Jennifer and I have gone. Literally, our entire family have gone to shop for vehicles for the last 40 years. And that's Sanderson Ford in Glendale. I can remember walking there a lot as a kid. Um, I we were married, but we got married. But Jennifer robbed the cradle. She married me very young, um, and we had a house that was almost right across the street from Sanderson Ford. And I would just go walk the lot every once in a while. I was never chased off 
they knew I couldn't afford anything on the lot, but they would always come up and talk to me and visit with me. Um, and eventually, when I could afford it, I bought my first vehicle there. That was almost 40 years ago. And I can't tell you how many I've bought since. They make it so easy. Uh, the owner of Sanderson Ford, Mr. Dave, talks about relationship. You know, every single transi- transaction is a relationship building opportunity in their eyes. That's why everyone at Sanderson Ford is so committed to giving back to the community and building relationships. I I knew on several occasions in the last four years, I knew a particular car I wanted and I'd call them and they'd say, we don't have one on the lot right now. When we see it come in, we'll put your name on it. And that's how I ended up with Carol's car that we sent on our way to college and that's how i ended up with the car i drive today if if you want a car buying experience that truly is a relationship building experience go to the most award-winning dealership in america sanderson ford right here in glendale you'll thank me for this Okay, so we've been talking all over the place today, animals, pets, uh, but we took a little bunny trail off to moths. And um, so we had Miss Katie Prudick from U of A, um, citizen science assistant professor, last segment, just talking us through moths. And I never really realized why I didn't like moths, but she she said it. It's because they're erratic, right? And they flit around, and then they're they're not really all that pretty unless you're up close. Well, and, they don't tend to be as pretty as butterflies, that's for sure. So I think I've always been a little bit afraid of them, but I kind I want to thank her because I have a new appreciation for them. But one of the things I learned uh, just looking into this a little bit, you know, if you if you have like a, a closet infestation of moths, you can't call a pest control company that will come out and get rid of them for you because they don't get rid of anything that flies. They can't come in your house and just start shooting chemicals at flies and mosquitoes and moths. But the good news is there are thousands of varieties of moths, and only two, only two, will eat clothing. So it's kind of rare, but some of the things that you can do to keep them out of your closet is the cedar blocks. The And we don't have them too bad here, but, you know, after this season we could. Um, and occasionally um, – I remember going out to dinner with somebody and noticing there was a big hole in the back of their dress. And I thought, well, that person has a moth in their closet. But um, you can use the mothballs, which I don't like, but I love the cedar. There's different kind of natural things you can do. But the most important thing you can do is just kind of move your closet around. You know, make sure you go through your clothes kind of on a regular basis and that sort of thing. And to keep them out of your house altogether, you know, especially this time of year, you're going to want to pull your screen shut. And then turn turn, light, off, turn, turn off the off lights, your lights. Turn your lights off when you're not using them, <laughs> because they're just drawn to that. But they're they're not going to hurt you. They don't bite. They don't. You know, they might get in. There's certain types that might eat your flower or something. But they're really not much of a nuisance. You know, and was, you know what? They are pollinators. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say in Louisiana, it was pretty common to have a cedar closet, mm-hmm. a complete closet made of nothing but cedar wood, and you could put your clothes in there and all that. It was virtually mothproof. Yeah, it's a it's a natural deterrent. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. why you put that in. We actually and, have one of those in our house. Oh, there, <laughs> yeah, do. We there do. you go. Um, yeah. Now, Gary, who was the Saturday Night Live comedian that passed away this Norm week? Norm MacDonald. Oh, if, man. Now, look, in doing <laughs> research on moths this week, I stumbled across Norm MacDonald telling a moth joke <laughs> on Dave, David Letterman's show. That's one of the funniest jokes 
I've ever heard. I thought it was the dumbest <laughs> thing until we hit the punchline. I came out of my chair crying. I was laughing so hard. Keep, stay with the show till we're off the air, but I guarantee you sometime this weekend, Look up the moth joke by Norm Macdonald on YouTube and stay with it. Yeah, you got to stay with it. You got to stay with it and get fully engaged in it. It it will kill you. It, it, I, I was dying when I heard. I it. did too. Oh. I did too. I thought, where is this going? And then, <laughs> wham! <laughs> now you had uh, Dr. Katie on uh-huh. uh, from U of A. Uh, for those of you in Maricopa County, uh, again, in doing our little research for the topic today. I discovered something. I'd really like to get an excuse to miss one of the shows coming up a that Saturday. Be fair. I, pretty I soon. didn't. I started to sign up and realized you have to be there on a Saturday. The Maricopa County Regional Parks has a seminar coming up October first and second. It is the first virtual beginner butterfly training program, and it'll be October first from six to seven thirty p.m. But then the next day, you go out to any one of the state parks, and they're actually going to ask you to harvest data on what you see. Australia Mountain Park, Hacienda River Park, Spurcross Ranch, uh, Conservation Area, White Tank Mountain Regional Park. And you are going to be trained on spotting, identifying, and recording what you see. So they're going to start what the Audubon Society started with the, with the backyard bird count. So training an army of people to be able to identify what it is that's flying through your backyard, what's pollinating your garden, what's working on your flowering herbs. Uh, this sounds like something I would really enjoy doing. It, it does look like fun. A butterfly identification seminar, Butterf- butterfly training program if you're interested and it's open to the public uh get a hold of maricopa county parks and get all the information for the seminar running october 1st and 2nd butterfly training program as i was saying earlier in the show jennifer and i take our horses we generally like to take monday off um and we took the horses out for a ride that's usually our monday activity is we trailer the horses to wherever we have to go for a cool ride and this monday it was just cool enough we were able to stay in the in the desert area we went out to rio verde and jennifer generally leads because her little horse has a small horse syndrome and if i lead he just kind of like goes nuts so peanut and jennifer generally lead and as they would walk by the desert fig uh, or the manzanita uh, or the cat claw. Every time y'all walked by one of those bushes beside the trail, it would literally explode with hundreds and hundreds, I, I, I would dare say thousands of different butterflies. And I think, I don't know, just looking casually from horseback, I think we saw six or eight different varieties. Yeah. And um, in talking to Katie, you know, this is going to end soon. You know, the weather's going to cool off. They're here because there's food. As things die off for the winter, the mosquitoes will go away, the moths will go away. So all these little flying things that we're not used to because we're so spoiled, we're going to start going away. So not much you can do about it. Except, But we do love watching the little fly, butterflies and moths. 
Hey, I got a text question about our earlier discussion. Okay. Uh, so we're talking about little critter, you know, our pets and having them in the backyard. And this person wants to know how big should your dog be <laughs> before you leave it alone in the backyard? Oh, wow. That's a good question. I would say bigger than a rabbit. <laughs> yeah. Rabbit size or smaller are the ones that are at highest risk from attack uh, from overhead. For sure. Yeah, they're specifically asking about hawks, but we mentioned last week our neighbor has a medium-sized dog, almost as big as ours. A terrier. Buddy, yeah. a, a good, healthy-sized terrier. And, yeah. And a coyote jumped over the wall and got after him. Jumped, did, jumped. Did coyote damage. jumped yeah. over a six-foot block yeah. wall and attacked this dog in its own backyard. Yeah. Poor little buddy lived with, I don't know, he had 30, 40 stitches for a while. Yeah. Recovered well, but how traumatic is that to run in your backyard and your pet's being attacked by a coyote? Yeah. And they actually make, if, if you're in an area with a particularly high amount of coyote traffic, uh, they actually make rollers that you put on the top of those walls. So as the coyote oh, jumps and his front paws land on the top, then he just pulls himself up with the back feet and then he goes over. These rollers actually keep the coyote from ever getting his front paws up there to hold on. So it's one long roller. Yeah, you, you mount them end to end to end to end, and they're just real rollers as you jump, as they jump up there, they're just, they fall back into the alley. Where do you find those? Do you they're, you, yeah, they're actually fairly common. Oh, yeah? Yep. So wall, wall rollers, coyote wall rollers. <laughs> well, we have chain links, uh, part of ours were against a wash, so I, I don't know, that wouldn't help. But that those have those... I guess, what do you think? What would you do for a chain link fence to keep them out? Well, in our prop, at our property, like many properties, the chain link is buried in such thick oleander that they wouldn't, they're not going to try and jump over it. You know, they may try and burrow underneath it, but we don't have anything in the backyard that's so appetizing for them to force them to want to dig under anything. So we're fortunate that way. Everything we've got in our backyard is of a size um, they're just going to, they're just going to bark at each other through the chain link fence. <laughs> so keeping the dogs safe. We recently had to do a, at Rosie Wright remodeling, had to do a, a laundry room remodel. And a big part of what the client wanted is a dog shower. They wanted an area they could actually put on a pair of, uh, flip flops and a bathing suit and walk the dog into this area and literally stand over it and shower it and shampoo it and clean it. And boy, there were actually a lot of things to think about when we got to doing it, not having ever done a dog shower. We had to do a little research into it as to what the appropriate appliances are and the plumbing fixtures and the drainage systems and what do you do with the excess amount of hair that's generally accumulated depending on the variety of dog. But it's a great way... Um, you often tell me I have the stinkiest dogs in the world. <laughs> he does. I don't think that's true, but that's oh, what you is. tell me. They're outside dogs. They get bathed once a year, whether they need it or not. <laughs> uh, but uh, if, I, if I had a setup like that, you know, maybe I would get in there and kind of scrub them down every once in a while. Well, I have bought the shampoos that you put on the ed end of the hose and it distributes the shampoo and then you turn it off and it just rinses them. And that works wonderfully in the summer. Because it's hot outside and the water's just right. But in the winter, when it's cold, you don't want to turn that cold hose on them. So it would be really nice. So you would put that like in the mudroom? Absolutely. Laundry room? Yeah. And and in this particular laundry room, it worked as the drip area for your wet laundry that you wanted to drip dry. Uh, there was a bar across the top that you could also hang all of your 
uh, clothes as they came out of the dryer. You just had a hanging area there. It was well lit. Um, it was all tile. There was no division between it and the rest of the laundry room. It was like a walk-in shower. Um, to to and there was there there was a little hook on the wall. You could hook the leash just to hold them still for a while. So it worked out really well. Well, I found out that you know at our house we have one of those older sunken tubs, and so one of our kids was staying at the house and wanted to bathe their dog in that tub. So they took peanut butter and put it around the edge. Of the shower to keep the dog in there to keep, keep it the busy. Dog occupied. Yeah, but a hook would have been a lot nicer way to get that done. Yeah, it would have been a lot nicer. <laughs> so all ideas on living with your pet, keeping them safe in the backyard, keeping happy, keeping them clean, all that kind of information we're sharing with you here at Rosie on the House. <laughs> Deborah is on the phone, and she wants to uh, give us some tips on dogs that don't do well in weather. Deborah, are you still there? I am still here. Can you hear me all right? Yes, go right ahead. Okay, good. Um, I have a foster who I'm failing with, so it means I'm going to keep her. She has had a lot of separation anxiety and lots of issues with noises and weather changes. And what I did is take her to a holistic vet and... That has helped tremendously. She's on Chinese herbs, and it really helps to calm her entire system. And I recently actually dropped the dosage down just to save a little bit, and I've noticed that her symptoms are back. So I'm putting it back up to her normal dosage. Well, I'll give you a call, and you can fill me in on that doctor and the the treatment, because we have tried everything. (laughs) Thank you, Deb. And we have had lots of things recommended, and we've been through the gamut of experimenting with them, all for this one dog bandit. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd love to find something to calm him down so he could make it through these events. Uh, One, it would would free me up because I wouldn't have to be there with his head in my lap every time it comes into a monsoon. It's been kind kind of a ridiculous monsoon season this year with him. But uh, I would love to try that. One of our other dogs is actually on an oriental mm-hmm. uh, herb supplement. So I'm very curious. So let's find out who she deals with and who we might be able to try. Talking about pets this particular hour, one of the topics that comes up a lot when people are landscaping, they contact us at Rosie Wright Remodeling and are contemplating redoing the yard or the backyard, maybe, maybe like Many of our clients are now empty nesters, and they're they're converting it from the backyard playground for the children to a backyard resort for the adults and friends that come over for the barbecue evenings and whatnot. Many of them are considering as low a maintenance uh, selection of materials as possible. So the the new generation of artificial turf almost enters the conversation. Every single time we're talking about redoing a backyard. And there's a couple things y'all need to know. That if, in fact, you do have a pet, and that is going to be the pet's area uh, to relieve itself, you need to have specially formulated artificial turf, specially constructed turf, to allow for thorough drainage and cleaning. 
And the other thing you're going to need to know is some artificial turfs are made uh, like carpet, and they're looped. You know, one long string. Loop, 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 loop. Well, if your dog likes to dig and he happens to get one of those strings that, in fact, end up being about 12 feet long and starts unraveling it, he literally can unravel your entire artificial turf area. So you're going to want artificial turf designed for pet use and habitation and comfort. We talk about it often, even in the artificial turf. You're going to want an opportunity to sprinkle it off, get it wet, hose it off, uh, carefully power wash it with a wand at a, at a significant distance away. But you're going to want to be able to keep it clean. So in shopping, low maintenance, artificial turf, as opposed to tiff lawn that needs to be fertilized, watered regularly every day, and mowed, uh, the artificial turf is a definite option. But no, you need to get that product designed for pet use and habitation. Yeah, consult an expert. There's all kinds of stuff you can just buy at the hardware store. And uh, But if you want a really nice job, if it's an area you hang out and you want it to look really special, we have Liberty Greens or Easy Turf by Sunburst Landscaping that can help you with that. Two, two great experts to coach you through it. So in the next hour, the 10 o'clock hour, we're going to open the phone lines. If you'd like to give us a ring, one 767 4348 Answer any question you might have about your house, home, castle, or cabin. And we're going to talk a little bit about water heaters. One of the most under, I don't think they're underappreciated, but they're the most oft ignored uh, and abused uh, largest appliances that you have in your house. So in the upcoming hour, I'm going to do what I can to help you develop a relationship <laughs> with your water heater. You love them as long as they work, right? You, you love it's them, easy. you know, yeah. you, you forget about them. Yeah, until they don't work. You, you ignore them until they don't work. And then, boy, then it's always a, 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 a scramble, a, a scramble, an absolute scramble. So we'll be talking about water heaters and the different options that we have in today's technology as far as heating the water as well as distributing the hot water in, about, and through your house where you're not having to wait for it constantly. That will be the topic we'll open next hour with, but we'll open the lines up for next hour. You can feel free to ring us with any question that you might have. I do have text questions and email questions, but you know what? We love to talk to you guys. And I know everybody loves to hear the, the calls uh, answered on air. So give us a call. And how do they text? 411-923. Do you have any there. baseball tickets to give away or we don't right now, do I'll, we? I'll let you know next hour. I think they're all. But let me take this minute and invite y'all. Next Saturday, we're going to be broadcasting live from the Pella Experience Center in Gilbert. We'd love to see y'all there.